Thank you for listening to Caleb versus Self. Today, I got a chance to speak with Brendan of Master Talk. Awesome conversation, bar none. Uh, we get to cover his passion for sharing his talent in speaking and presenting. We talk about the hardest part of life to master, which is yourself, and his support of charitywater.org. You can find him on YouTube at Master Talk, Instagram at Master Your Talk, Twitter at Master Your Talks, and at MasterTalk.ca. Again, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did, and I look forward to seeing what Brendan does next. Thanks for listening. So, first and foremost, Brendan, thank you so much for hopping on. Um, Caleb versus Self, I know you reached out. Um, I've been doing some homework on you, and I'm super excited to have this conversation with you. Pleasure is mine, Caleb. Thanks so much for yeah. So first and foremost, I kind of want to go back on Master Talk. And my first question is just how is it that you found yourself in this space specifically of Master Talk? Yeah, for sure. So what happened, Caleb, was when I was in university, I used to do these things called case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So other guys my age were playing football or rugby or baseball or basketball. I was applying that same competitive spirit but to presentations. So for years, I presented hundreds of times, coached dozens of people on communication, public speaking. And by the time I joined the corporate world, I just asked myself a simple question, which was, how do I add more value to the world? And that's when the idea for MasterTalk came because I realized that a lot of the communication information out there is terrible. You hear advice like, oh, you should like be yourself and uh, get out there. And I just went, what am I supposed to do with this nonsense? So I started making YouTube videos in my mother's basement. One thing led to another, and the rest is history, man. Dude, that's a lot of the content that you have on there is really poignant. It's really specific, and I really appreciate the fact that you take the time to not just deliver like those one or two, like, you know, be yourself, that type of thing, but really <laughs> dive down into those bullet points of, look, here, if you're going to do this, here's some stuff that you really need to, to focus on, and I really appreciate that. So in one of your videos – you talk about going to daycare when you're about four years old and having to learn French. And, and I'm, I'm just assuming you're probably in the Quebec, Montreal area somewhere uh, in that, that space. Do you feel like as a young kid, especially at that time, that really impacted like how you view speaking and how that kind of shaped your vision going forward, even at such a young age? Yeah, you got it, man. So right on the nail. I'm born, born and raised in Montreal. And what's fascinating about the city, as, as you alluded to very well, is this idea that French is a required language. I didn't know the language. So my, my parents looked at me when I was five years old and they said, well, Brendan, you got to learn this language. So we're going to throw you into a French education system. So obviously, I'm super grateful that they did that because I'm trilingual today. But the process wasn't so fun. I mean, we're already uncomfortable as it is with presentations. I had to present in a language I didn't even know. So it was incredibly stressful for me as a kid. But I'm not going to tell you the, the classic story that I was this introverted, shy kid with social anxiety. No, I was a pretty extroverted guy. I just, I just struggled a lot to communicate in my second language, and I struggled a lot with public speaking because of that. So obviously you consider French your second language. Would you consider um, Tamil and English like both your first, or how does that work for you? Man, even though my other language is included. <laughs> wow, okay, that's great. Yeah, you got it. So you can think it it's English first, second okay. would be French, third would be Tamil. Wow. 
that's insanely impressive. And not only, I mean, I watched a couple of your presentations. You even do some where you bounce back and forth between English and French. In one of the, your videos, you talk about how it can be difficult sometimes too to kind of um, weave in those those presentation. Boy, I'm, I'm probably going to butcher this, but those kind of nuances in each language. Where exactly do you try to tie that in when you're doing like bilingual presentations? Because that's really fascinating to me how you do that. Yeah, that's that's a solid question. It's it's tricky. It's tricky to explain it in words, but I'll try my best. So okay. so the key is, since you've watched the video, I guess as a recap for your audience, when you're presenting in a second language, the big difference is nothing to do with intelligence. A lot of people get into that myth because you know they're worried about presenting in English as their second language, and they're like, oh, you know, I don't know the words. I'm stupid. No, no, no. That's all nonsense. The big difference is vocabulary. Something you know very well in your first language, whether that first language is Mandarin or Cantonese or Hindi or even English, it's harder for you to translate that meaning into a language where you haven't been immersed in the culture. Mm-hmm. So for me, that, that's the, that was a struggle with French early in my life because I didn't know that many French people. I didn't speak French on a regular basis. So what I always did is I artificially practiced. So I would essentially write, and this is what I recommend for everybody, you write your speech in your first language, regardless of the language you need to speak it in. Then you translate it into the language you need to speak it in. And then you do what I call a vocabulary test, where you work with native speakers whose language is the one you need to speak in. I'll I'll replay that one because I was kind of choppy with the words there. But the idea is, let's say your first language is English, your second language is French, and you got to present in French. So what you do is you write your script in English, you translate it in French, and then you get French native speakers to give you examples and help on how to make your presentations better. So this is a technique I applied for years in my early 10s, I guess, late, early and late 10s. And then mm-hmm. as I got used to it over a decade of speaking in French, that's when French became a lot more like speaking in a, in a, in a first language. So it became a lot easier for me to shift between because I was immersed in the culture for so long. But it's not easy for sure. It takes a lot of time. So I recommend people do is really get good at your second language for one or two presentations. So you get some more confidence going and then you can start uh, swifting through languages like I do. So when you go through that process, have you ever run into in your storytelling presentations that you've done, at least the ones that I've seen on YouTube? Have you ever run into a story that you've had to like completely alter just because of that like cultural disconnect from from this language to that language? Definitely in regards to quotes. So quotes are probably a good demonstration of what you're asking here very well, I would say, in the sense that let's say there's a quote I used to say called like, like, it was this quote basically about how if you fulfill the wishes of your employees, they in turn fulfill your vision. It's like this, this quote I used to use in front of executives. That shit doesn't work in French. <laughs> it just does it. It's just like les neuves. It's just bad. So in that case, I would have to switch the quote out completely. But in regards to stories, the reason it's never happened is because most of the stories I tend to go with are usually personal ones. So they're usually personal. Like, for example, the one I always use, hence, hence a trend you'll notice with me and all the top, a lot of the top speakers in the world, is we don't reinvent the wheel that much. We take a small piece of content and we use it over and over and over again. And this is no exception. So the personal story I use is, well, my childhood, like you asked me to earlier today, when I was five years old, blah, blah, blah. I can do that in any language. 
that's fascinating and i'm really impressed by how you can switch between those uh, so so cleanly right the presentation that you have at least um on your web website uh, mastertalk.ca uh, just a perfect example of how you just you seamlessly go back and forth and i feel like especially in the situation you're in in montreal that's kind of crucial i mean i know French is a required language, but I have to imagine there's so many people up there that speak a second language. Is that something that you run into when you do presentations up there? Oh, you got it. Like, just to give you context on that keynote specifically on the website, I actually found out 15 minutes before the keynote that I had to do half of it in French. It was really scary. <laughs> it's wow. kind of funny, yeah. But uh, you're right on, on, the, on the head. But once again, the reason why I'm saying that is you're right. It wasn't that stressful because most of us in Montreal speak two or three languages you know it's always fun for me caleb when i when i go to california or i'm at different parts of the world and you start speaking french nobody gives nobody gives a crap when you speak french in montreal but when you're in uh new york or los angeles people are like oh my god are you like from france it's like really fun you're immediately super cultured i imagine yeah it's so funny i'm like i'm like the least cultured person you'll ever meet i guess i am because i speak a lot of languages but uh, yeah, when I'm outside of Montreal, though, oh yeah, baguette, croissant, like they all think I'm from up here. They all think I own the Eiffel Tower or something. It's like it's really interesting. Well, it's interesting that you also mentioned the fact that like you consider yourself not really like super cultured. And, and in one of your uh, Instagram posts that I find probably the most fascinating one, you've labeled um, Unlock Yourself. And in that, you really talk about how, I mean, you don't watch Netflix, you're not really into, you know, anthologies and movies and films and things like you're just you're just grinding Uh, (laughs) is that like i mean you're here it says on their guests like 15 to 20 podcasts a week i imagine that you're just you're just trying to knock every single thing out just pushing the envelope of making master talk what you envision it to be is that still the case are you still pressing that hard Man, I gotta watch what I say in this intro. You're clearly you've done your homework at a level that's almost crazy. I love it. I honestly respect the game. This is great. You're absolutely right. That's why that's why I lack a tremendous amount of culture. Because I spend ninety percent of my life just grinding master talk. Like tomorrow I have interviews that start at seven AM, so yeah, I'm pretty nuts. Oh god. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So in that specific post, what I really, really appreciate about that is the unlock yourself. The hardest part of life to master is yourself. What do you feel like you're mastering at this point? Like what part of the game are you really trying to grind and, and get yourself out there on? Oh man, this is going to be fun. All right. Okay. Let's, let's get straight to the point. So I think what I realized, Caleb, in my life, okay, is you can think of me as I have the knowledge of someone who's already died. So what does that mean? The, the way the, what that means essentially is I, I you can think of every single person I've learned from like a tape recorder in my head and there's thousands of tape recorders with all of the mistakes that every single human being I've interacted with or that I admire has made so what what I've what I've essentially done with my life is I've already planned out most of it because I know at some point it's going to end because I've just questioned life to, to such an extent where it's just saying, okay, if I had all the money in the world and all the resources, what would I do with my time minute per minute, night by night, day by day? It's, I'm literally that crazy. And what I've realized through those insights is that the only thing that really matters at the end of the day, you know, it's simple, but you know, it sounds cheesy, but it's really just adding value to people and leaving a legacy that actually matters, right? And, and for me, when I woke up, you know, my goal two years ago uh, and it wasn't in a coma or anything, but I w- when I woke up intellectually and emotionally, so to speak, 
I kind of just realized, you know, my, my goal two years ago was just to be a senior executive at a company, make half a million dollars, like most of the people who do these case competition things. But what I realized in that process was through a series of serendipitous random events that I ended up being the youngest professional speech coach in the world without even knowing it because I was just so obsessed with case and solving these business problems and coaching all these teams. And that's when I realized I had a gift that no one really had at that age group, which was 40 years of communication knowledge as a 24-year-old, as a 22-year-old. So I said, how can I share this gift with the world so that when I'm dead, people can learn from me forever? So I'm only playing for legacy now. I'm not, I'm not a very uh, materialistic kind of guy. Like I do well for myself, but I still live in my mother's basement. And as you, as you're actually, you're probably going to know every enumeration I'm about to say, but you know, I karaoke in eight different languages. I dance alone in my basement. I love clubbing. Like I do a bunch of bizarre stuff. And I've always found that the people who are bizarre to this level are the people who are actually very authentic to themselves and the life that they want to lead. Well, it's super fascinating that you, you kind of go down that specific avenue. The fact that you are so self-aware and just, you know, you understand what it is that you're trying to do that all the other things don't really matter is something that for me, at least I look up to because I still, you know, get stuck in that loop a little bit of, you know, keeping up with the Joneses and, and it's such a stressful uh, thing to have to try to do. And I, and I admire the fact that you're just, you're right there, you're ready, you're moving right on. And I appreciate the fact as well that when you talk about podcasts specifically, you know, I know you're not really a big fan of reading books, but when you do, you're really taking all of those lessons, right, from those books, from those podcasts, and you're making sure that you don't make those same mistakes. Does that get tedious? Do you lose track of all the things that you're consuming as far as, you know, trying to get to where you want to be? Man, I'm so excited. You're right. You're asking the right questions, man. Very good stuff. So, so what I do essentially is I create a separate notepad with insights that are new that I didn't know before. That's how I keep track of all the knowledge. So I only write something down on, so I have a Google notes or an iPhone notes, depending on what device you have, like an iNote. And I, and I have little notepads on each interview I watch for a podcast, but I have an overarching one with all of the notes that I didn't know before. So that way I can always look to that notepad and always refresh myself on the things that are brand new that I can reapply into my life. So I'll give you a couple of examples. And what's fun about this process, you can also reflect on new types of knowledge that didn't exist yet. So... I think one of those things was a question. I remember I was at a personal development seminar last year, and I was sitting in the front row, and there was this question that was plastered on, on the screen in the front, and the question was, what are you pretending not to know? So when I looked at that question, I was like, oh, that's new knowledge. So I literally opened my phone, I wrote that question, and I spent weeks thinking about it. So I think the strategy in that where most people fail in personal development is the absorb too much information. So let's say somebody's listening to us right now. They're absorbing, they're absorbing, but they're not reflecting. That's why the the number one thing I recommend people do is not necessarily follow my advice, but the but rather ask yourself a hard question about life every single day. Because if you do that every single day, like what are you pretending not to know? If you had all the money in the world, what would you do with your time? And what would you write your own funeral speech? Things like that. Then you start to question your own norms 
and what you actually believe. And then for the few, the very small percentage of human beings where they break out of that norm, they can then create their own rules. But very few people get to that level. And I'm, I'm blessed and grateful that all these people shared their knowledge with for so freely available. And I was able to take advantage of that at a young age. So be honest with me. How long is that notepad? That's got to be insane the amount of like word count in that thing it's it's pretty fucking insane dude i i do like uh i i listen i used to i i've been busy a lot for, with interviews i guess so i've been doing less of it but usually i actually listen to 10 hours of podcasts a week that's my general industry like my standard routine so i'm always listening listening probably 10 percent of it is actually really good but yeah, I have like, I have multiple of these spreadsheets. I mean, not spreadsheets, excuse me, uh, notepads where I have all of these lessons. So you can think of me as like, I'm always listening. I'm always thinking a, a good analogy of someone that, that you can, I'm trying to model myself against is, is Seth Godin. Uh, Seth's a good example of this, where he's always kind of in his head all the time. He's always reading books. That's why his podcast is like a goldmine, right? I, I've, I'm literally religious about his podcast. I tune in every week because he's always sharing stuff that just doesn't exist. But the only way you create that type of knowledge is you need to be a freak yourself, right? And, and I like to think that I am. So, yeah. Wow. Awesome. Um, let me push and in, in keep forward on the YouTube channel because that's where I appreciate most of your content. Like, again, how direct you are and how specific you are and, and the pointers that you're providing. They're not just the, like you said, right? Be yourself or the basic bullshit, for lack of a better word. But yeah. More- I really appreciated was master the journey and you've got three very specific points in there uh, and I'm hoping to kind of poke a little bit and prod a little more on those and the first one you've got is that public speaking isn't a learned skill you aren't born with it do you feel like there are people that are are born with it or do you really feel like that is a skill that has to be developed over the course of a, a set amount of time yeah, and, and it's an interesting nuance that I usually don't say on podcasts, but this seems like a very intellectual one. You, you, you know, the, the idea with advice, and you know this, Caleb, but it's worth repeating, is you try your best as an influencer and a thought leader to recommend advice that you think will apply for the majority. But you're right. No piece of advice can ever apply in 100% of the case. And I think that that quote is a good example of it. Do I think that's true for most people? Absolutely. It's like leadership, right? No, I, I don't think anyone's born a leader, right? It's yeah. more something you learn, whether you're a midget, whether you're six feet four, whether you're any type of color, any type of origin. If you have those experiences, you, you can be a leader, absolutely. But when it comes to public speaking, I've always believed that to be the case too. I mean, I'm probably, I'm not, maybe not the best example, but I'm a good one in the sense that if I could present in a second language my whole life and switch to my first one, after 20 years of pretty much being traumatized in public speaking, I think I think anyone can too. Obviously, traumatizing over exaggeration, but what I mean is like I, I obviously didn't have it easy. So so if somebody like me could just figure it out as a skill, and now that you have the videos too and all these lessons, now you can learn a lot faster than I ever could. I, I definitely think anyone who really wants to master it can do it. But you're right. There are definitely exception cases where people are just born with it and just have that innate skill. But if I had to argue further here, more as mm-hmm. more like as a brain uh, brain thinking kind of thing, I mean, just edu- educate, educational guessing here, is a lot of those people probably have very extroverted parents. You know, people who instill that confidence within them. I don't think it's necessarily that they're born with it. I think it's more of a nurture thing where a lot of their parents just instilled confidence in them in the same way uh, a popular figure right now, Gary Vaynerchuk, credits a lot of his confidence to his mother. 
interesting. I will I will actually give you a different side of that coin. Please. And actually myself as an example. So m- both of my parents are deaf. So I'm fluent in Whoa. American language. So growing up, I always had to interpret for my parents, no matter what. If it was, you know, talking to the neighbors, if it was, you know, going down the street to pay the electric bill, whatever it was, I always had to interpret. So I was constantly in contact with adults and had to present what my parents were saying a certain way. And for me, at least, that's where I kind of, I think I get a lot of that public speaking kind of from. It's just kind of forced upon you because of the situation. That's super fascinating. It's definitely a use case I haven't thought through. I have to think more about this after the show's over. But I would say right now on the spot, what I would say is you're right. Necessity does breed invention in many ways, right? Going to the old adage. And and I think in your case, it's definitely true. I mean, I mean I'm no exception to that rule too. You know, what happened yeah. with me is case competitions, you know, I, I kind of play it off as a very, you know, when I explain my story, but the truth is case competitions were intense as hell. Right. It's like it was it's like the business Olympics. You know, I was presenting like just to give you an idea, anyone who took holiday vacations would never get into the program. We just would never let them in because the competition was the first week of January. We took these presentations really seriously. We'd fly out people around the world to give PowerPoint presentations. Sounds bizarre. And I was the dictator of that whole thing. So (laughs) so definitely uh, th- this whole idea of, you know, your situation is particularly interesting to me, but but I guess in my case, as a contrast, it, I needed to be the best speaker in the program or else no one would take me seriously uh, in terms of what the bar was for public speaking. So I always had this pressure that I loved, by the way, I'm not going to underplay that. I loved having that pressure of being the best speaker in the room because it, it, it forced me to strive for excellence. And then so when it came for me to execute Master Talk, it was a lot easy. It was pretty easy uh, relative to where I was before. Yeah, it seems like your motivation is always to set a high bar for yourself, and it seems to have paid off, at least from from my perspective. As far as these case competitions, by the way, when I was watching your videos and you had mentioned it a few times as your starting point, I tried to dig into a few of them and forget about it. That stuff is so far over my head. Just looking at like the all the stuff that you have to do for, and I can't imagine the ones that I'm looking at look like you know run of the mill ones, and they're way over my head. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to give you just because I love your curiosity. I can give you like a sneak peek of what what these sure. days look like. So at an international level competition, what happens is an actual company gives and gives a, a business problem for, for all these 20 year old students to solve. So picture this. You got 19 teams, sorry, 24 teams across 19 different countries in a city like Montreal. And the person who steps up Walmart was that year's sponsor. This was a couple of years ago. And okay. it, the person who's presenting this case, right, just to set the day for us, is not a store manager, but rather the senior vice president of Walmart Canada. So you have the guy who's running the ship, you know, the person right under that person, who's mm-hmm. who's literally worked at the company longer than everyone else has lived in right. life. And he's the one, and he's saying, figure out this problem for me. You have 24 hours to figure out a solution. So every all these teams run back into their hotel rooms. They start pushing out slides and numbers. And nobody sleeps the full 24 hours. If you sleep, you lose because you'll lose a couple of hours of prep time that a team from Thailand is going to use, right? So it's, it's um, let's just say it's a very, it's a very intense sport and intense and a sport I fell in love with. You know, I always like to consider myself the, the Michael Jordan that nobody gave a shit about. That's kind of like a good way of thinking about it. <laughs> that's, that's definitely one way to look at it. Yeah. Not to keep getting sidetracked, but, but, 
in these case competitions, have do they ever go over 24 hours? Like, is there a two-day, a, a week-long? Are there any others that go, like, even crazier distances or lengths? You're, you're absolutely right. There's definitely different formats. Some of them can be a month. Well, obviously, the month ones, no one's not sleeping for a month. It's kind of crazy. But, you know, there, there's definitely 48-hour cases. That's That definitely nobody sleeps the full two days for sure. But um, let's say a week, if you have a week to prep it, then yeah, you'll sleep a bit more. But if you there, but the most common format that I've done is what you have three hours and no internet. So essentially, you're you're being thrown a twenty page case. You have to read all the pages. You have to yell at your teammates, figure out a solution, make the slides, make a financial statement, risks and mitigations. And by the way, at the end of the three hours, forget practice. You have to go present to those executives. Jeez, jeez. Now I understand why you've got one tweet here. Um, the real enemy is time. That makes so much more sense now listening to that. <laughs> I never I never tied it that way, but that's fascinating. That's definitely, I mean, that's what I hear, uh, you know, in, in that. But if I keep going with Master the Journey, right? Another point that you have in that one, practice really does make perfect as long as you know what to practice. And my question to that is, is you do a great job at identifying how people can um, figure out what to, to practice. Is there a way that people can figure out how long it takes, or is that more of just a natural feeling that occurs over the course of practice? Hmm. I think what I would say to that one, Caleb, is it the timing to get there will definitely vary based on the individual you're talking to. That's for sure. There's definitely no set time there, but it will vary based on the person's obsessiveness with the topic. So I'll give you a classic example when I speak to the general public, what doesn't seem to be the case in this show. So when I speak to the general public, the pitch is the following. If you present one topic that you really care about, over time, you will master it, but that time will be indeterminate. So let's say Sally is a bank executive and she loves health and she doesn't want to hire a coach. What I tell someone like Sally is I say, wait, make a health presentation, get better. And without like a coach, probably over a couple of months, she would get mm-hmm. there, right? You know, she'll get there hundred percent. She doesn't have to pay anything. Doesn't have to cut co- over time. She'll just present that thing once every couple of weeks. She'll get some confidence. She'll keep watching my free stuff and then she'll, she'll make it. But then you have the other side of the spectrum. The other side of the spectrum is one of two categories. Somebody who's just like, I'll pay like five, 10 G's for a speech coach. Just run me through a wall. And I run mm-hmm. my executives through seven or the other one is the student who's in that case competition program. You know, that mm-hmm. student is getting coached by all these high level executives to be the best case compert so that they can beat all the other schools. In that situation, that time lapse takes a couple of weeks. So when I used to coach all the students, it was literally like we start in August, our competitions in January, we're presenting every week. And since I used to be the speech coach, I would show up in front of every team and literally yell at all of them. I'd be like, this is how you present, this is how you present, this is how you do it. So like by week seven, they would go from this. I'll even give you a sample because I'm having so much fun with this. It's great. So so literally go from an average team. Let's say that Walmart example I gave you would sound Mm -hmm. something like this. And it's normal, right? Average team. Uh, Hi, everyone. Uh, My name's Brandon. Uh, This is Caleb, my teammate here. And today we're, we're going to be talking and walking you through uh, Walmart strategy and what we can do to um, to um, uh, to to move the stores. So this is a good example, right? You know, regular twenty-one year old, totally fine. Just the fact that they're presenting in front of executives really impressive. This is my PR version of Brendan right now. This is great. You know, really proud of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Then you have somebody I coach, okay? That I run through walls. 
that I'm like, you need to get gold, right? You put all this work in, you need to be the best. Then our team walks in, it sounds something like this. Ever since I was a kid, I loved going to Walmart. Whether it was the electronics, the shopping carts, I would just think of putting every little item. A lot of people like to think that Amazon is the everything store, but I disagree. When Sam Walton first founded Walmart, you founded the everything store. And as Walmart, you've dominated the retail space and created a sense of wonder for every single person who walks into your stores because you can buy anything at Walmart. And that's exactly why in this presentation, we want to help you expand Walmart to the future, the online world, so you can continue your dominance from the online space that you're still having trouble with to a new online world where you will take over. Good afternoon to the board of directors of Walmart. My name is Brendan Kumarasamy. I'm, I'm, I'm here today with my colleague, Caleb Dunham, and today we're going to expand on the future of the online Walmart. Right, something like that. So it gives you an idea. When somebody, when a senior VP is looking at you, he's like, holy shit, okay. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. Right. Holy shit. That was my um, blood. Literally, my Bread and butter was just that. Anyone who presented less than that, I would I would just reprimand those. Like, no, you got to present it like this, like this. Yeah, that's like home run style intro right there, like hands down. You, you know, um, I, I'm even being critical on me. For me, that was a 7 out of 10. It wasn't as good as I could Okay, have done all right, it. Yeah. all right, fair enough, fair enough. You, had, you set a very high bar, Brennan. <laughs> yeah, it's not. But, but, you know, to make this fascinating for you, the, the tie-in with Master Talk, dude, was yeah. – I realized because because notice now you know how crazy I am that when when I started when I started watching all of these YouTube videos of my competitors who had PhDs who were in this space for decades, I was vomiting in my mouth. I was like, you guys don't know anything about public speaking, which is very bold for a 22 year old to say it, right? But a 22 yeah, absolutely, year old, yeah. <laughs> for a 22 year old who was presented like I think I have presented like a thousand times now at this point. Like I was just so obsessed in my craft that I was like, well, you missed this. You missed this. This is too vague. And I just poked so many holes that at some point I got fed up and I opened my phone and started making videos myself. So, I mean, to me, this is all extremely fascinating, but I kind of want to tie what you just did. I, I know there's one more point that I'll get to on Master the Journey that I also really want to get to. But what you just did with that intro, the the kind of before and after, right? To me, that sounds like what you have, at least on your website, and that is this one word that's bold, and that's impact. And is that how you interpret impact as far as master talk? And if so, how do you apply that to your life overall, this this impact, this one word? Yeah, for sure, dude. I think for me, I, I think part of it is just my nature, but I, and this is what I recommend for people is to create your own value system. Like most people, and Vinod Kosla, who's one of the founder of Micro Sun Microsystems, says it very well in his Stanford talk. He says most people don't have a backbone. Like they don't have a value system. They don't stand for anything. They don't believe in anything. They just yeah. do what everyone else expects them to do. And I think that's what leads them astray and creates that lack of direction. And, and for me, the, the and, and a good indicator for people to figure out if that's a value or not is there's generally an emotional, visceral reaction to it, right? So for me, the one of the core values of my life is I always protect the vulnerable. Like, I just hate it when people who have more information than another party take advantage of them. 
whether it's like financial products or credit card schemes or just people who don't know any better and who just get like you know attacked and harassed or it, it just pisses the hell out of me like that's that's like my interpretation of impact that I usually don't say publicly but that's kind of my driver so when i when i always think about that across my life it, it's this idea of injustice i think is more interesting it is this idea of how do i create how do i create a more just world so that the geniuses who are supposed to win end up winning Right. You know, what I'm always fascinated by is like the, the seven other Elon Musks who don't have clean drinking water, who aren't currently building their own version of Tesla because they don't they can't like move. They can't get out. Right. So that's that's what I'm yeah. curious about and interested to solve. So with Master Talk, especially with the YouTube channel. Right. I feel like getting that channel at least in touch with disenfranchised or disadvantaged people would be a huge thing for you, right? I mean, being able to speak publicly and be comfortable in your own skin while you're doing that is beneficial for so many things, you know, whether it's getting a job, whether it's, uh, you know, just, just networking and making friendships. Is that something that also kind of drives you on that back end with that um, kind of life, I don't know, statement or, or idea? You got it, man. Like for me, yeah. Master Talk is 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 pretty is pretty much this idea of an fu to the entire industry, where if I if I make these tools accessible to everyone, the the next genius. I mean, when Elon was ten years old, you, you know, Elon Musk, he didn't have Master Talk. I want to make sure that the next Elon Musk, who's probably like a girl in Cambodia, knows I exist. So that she she grows up and, and builds her billion dollar companies, makes her impact when she's like 54 and I'm about to die. She's like, oh, yeah, I used to watch all your YouTube videos. Thanks for what you do. That's that's the shit that really matters to me these days. And that's why I assume you're also involved with CharityWater.org, yes? That's correct. Yeah. And, and the thesis behind Charity Water, which you're probably curious about. So I'm, I'm, so, yeah. I'm sort of answering questions that you, you aren't thinking to ask because I just like your curiosity. Brendan, it's on the list. You're just checking them off for me. <laughs> oh, that's cool, man. You're good. You're, you're good. You're really good. And, and, and so the the thesis for Charity Water and why I chose that one over all the others it, it has more to do with the system, rather the process, rather than the actual story behind Scott's work. But by the way, don't get me wrong. Scott's like my biggest hero in in life, but and he'll probably be until I die. But but I think the the idea and the question he helped me think through that he didn't even ask. And the question is, what is the world's easiest problem to solve? Most people, Caleb, when they think about problems and how to make a difference in the world, how to make a change, they go, what am I passionate about solving? And I think that's bullshit. That doesn't get you anywhere because it's general. It's vague. Hmm. Most people okay. don't have an answer. By the way, don't get me wrong. For the five, I'd even argue the 3% of people who are listening to this right now, who have a passion, mm -hmm. who are saying, oh, you know, Brendan's full of shit. I'm following my passion. I'm happy. Understand you're in the 3%. Almost everyone I talk to, Caleb, don't have a passion, don't know what they want out of life, or at least aren't willing to share it. That's why for me, the question has been twofold. One side of it is what does the world need me most to do right now and why? which ended up being master talk based on my unique set of skills. I ended up being the number one speech coach in the world. I have that potential of doing that and speaking to a demographic that hasn't been spoken to yet. So that's my gift. But the other mm -hmm. side is a problem that I think all of us should be focusing on as a human, as, as a, as one human society, which is what out of all of the problems out there, human trafficking, 
uh, sexual abuse, kidnapping, all of that, which are, which are all bad. And obviously we can have a subjective discussion of which is more bad. But the idea is if we all focus on which one is the easiest to solve that we can all agree on, we would just have a lot less problems in the world. I, it just boggles my mind that no one is thinking through it like that in that framework. And, and the water yeah. crisis ended up being the easiest problem to solve. Because if you, because, because the water crisis has already been solved for 90% of the human population, right? We've right. already solved the problem. It's just the reason it hasn't, is it hasn't percolated to the rest of the population. The human population is because it's not profitable for, for anybody to do that, right? You'd really have to be philanthropic, 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 excuse me, to get the last 10%. So, um, so yeah, that's why I've been focused on, on, on the water crisis and charity water has solved almost 2% of the whole problem, which is insane insanity. So, that's, so I, I think they can get yeah. the other 98. That's fantastic as well. Like it's, it's definitely something worth a hundred percent pursuing and, and, um, I appreciate the opportunity to even talk about it and kind of explain that a little bit. Of course. Man. Um, last but not least for me, at least is, uh, when are you going to write a book? Because I feel like between master public speaking and just the very simple questions that you post and talk about on your Instagram and Twitter, especially like unlock yourself and your full potential, there's so much material there that I feel like uh, could probably be sourced together in some kind of a, a of a book form, if I'm not mistaken. You got it. So, so I won't say too much here because also okay, I'll, fair be, enough. I'll be passing. I went too deep. No, 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 no. You did it. You're you're doing just fine. But what I will say is a book is definitely in the works, but I'm not planning on, on uh, shooting it out for at least another 10 years. The, the short-term goal is, is for me to build the platform first. This is what I recommend everyone as general advice, is if you have an idea worth sharing and you want to share it, my advice, which is very counterintuitive, is to get rich as quickly as possible. Because when you do get rich, because that's what pisses me off, is the good guys don't want to get rich. They're like, oh, I want to be, I'm going to donate all my money. I was like, no, 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 get rich so that you can quit your day job and do this full time, right? So you can invest all your energy on that. So that's the way I think about it. And so my goal, and unfortunately books are just not profitable, right? Is this yeah. idea of let me make it first financially. Let me get the coaching clients. Let me grow the YouTube channel. That's where all, that's where the short-term revenue comes in. And then long-term mm -hmm. when I build a brand, I can pour in millions into the book and not care if it makes a dime. That's fascinating because, at least for me, that was one piece of advice that I had gotten when I first got out of, of the military. So just a quick little background on me. Yeah, I was in ahead. the United States Army for a few years. Um, when I got out, I had a real good friend who went into the financial sector, lives in New York City, You know, did what you were describing, right? Looking for that half million dollar year salary, keeping up with the Joneses. And the one thing I was like, man, I just want to like talk to people. And he was like, yeah, that's cool, bro. But you should probably make money first because once you make the money, then you can do whatever the hell you want and exactly. no one's going to care. He's right. And I, and it seems like you're really echoing that sentiment and it's hard to argue, right? It's definitely true. Yeah, man. I, I'd even push his further because, because, because from your comment, it seems that he's still keeping up with the Jonians. So what I'm doing is I'm doing the same strategy. He does. I make a lot less than he does, but I still live in my mother's basement, even if I don't need to anymore. So I can really right. build up. So I expect to, to be full time on this because of those decisions in like 24 months, max, 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 probably a lot less. But that's the point I'm driving for for anyone who's listening is if you have an idea worth sharing, you really care about driving it out because because the people who are listening to the show are definitely different than most shows I come on. My, my <laughs> advice is 
you, you definitely want to try and get wealthy as quickly as possible if you can if it's possible yeah. for you like for me i never would have done master talk if i if i wasn't already making 70 grand a year doing some sure. some, sort of, some sort of day job because before master talk it wasn't like oh i need to be a youtuber i need to make an impact in the world. no 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 it was i need to make money i need, right. like my mom's making minimum wage like she's a factory worker i need to retire her i wasn't thinking about helping the world i was just being selfish and i i think everyone should do that and then after you make it then you can start thinking about other people I, dude, I appreciate that outlook so much. I, I definitely understand where you're coming from, and I appreciate all the time you've given me. We're at almost 40 minutes now, so, um, look, man, I I hope nothing but the best for you. Hopefully, maybe sometime in the future, in a year or two, I'll have you back on and catch up and see how you're doing. I'll tell you what, though, if you're ever after this whole pandemic, if you're ever in the Rochester, New York area, hit me up. I'm taking you to dinner. We keep <laughs> having conversations like this, my guy. Of course, man. You been awesome, Kilo. Such a pleasure. I appreciate it.